ladies and gentlemen, uh, let's get ready to rumble! Hello, 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 and welcome to the April 18th, 2021 episode of the Boxing Source Radio Show. I am your host, James Bell, the leader of the Boxing Source on social media, and like I said, the host here of the Boxing Source Radio Show. Uh, we are on uh, social media through Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Uh, through Instagram, you can follow us at The Boxing Source. Through Twitter, at Boxing Source, too. And, yes, we have a Facebook page. So uh, you could, you know, like the Facebook page and, you know, get uh, everything in reference to uh, the sport of boxing through there. Uh, we also have the website, theboxingsource.net. So you can also uh, get boxing articles and more through the boxingsource.net. Now, uh, we have a few things here that we are scheduled to do. Um, as, uh, you know, we have a uh, guest that, seem, that we'll try to see if we can get them on uh, to this particular uh, podcast here that's scheduled. So uh, hopefully they will be able to join us here at a later time. Uh, and we will, you know, have the, um, reactions to what happened last night as there was a good amount of boxing action, uh, that we were going, uh, that we we're going to go over. So, um, that's, you know, pretty much the schedule here, uh, so far. Uh, then uh, any other news and notes will you know pretty much uh, go through, and you know I had like a few you know thoughts about the uh, action as far as like the world title fight that took place uh, over in uh, the Miami area before that WBO middleweight title. Uh, you also have the um, fights that took place. Uh, there over in California, as uh, you had Tony Harrison uh, there going up against Brian Perella. Um, and then, yes, I will go over the uh, fight card, or at least I'll have my thoughts on uh, that fight card that happened uh, in, what was that, Atlanta or something. So, um, and so that's uh, what's going to, you know, happen there. And, um, but we will, you know, we will go through a few things uh, here in this particular um, juncture and, um, you know, we'll try that out. Um, but outside of that, um, 
you know, we, you know, we will uh, see if we could, uh, you know, get our guests on here. Um, but you know, are um, just uh, trying to solidify that here at this particular juncture. Uh, but it, for the time being, um, wanted to get into the action that happened uh, over the course of uh, yesterday. You know, starting off with uh, that first uh, main event that happened uh, with the WBO middleweight title fight, Demetrius Andrade uh, there going up against Liam Williams. Demetrius Andrade, WBO middleweight champion of the world, undefeated. You know, has had a little bit of, uh, you know, criticism for the uh, competition that he had, you know, in the past. Well, ever since he became WBO middleweight champion. Uh, going up against Liam Williams, uh, you know, at the time, the uh, one of the top uh, rated contenders there for the WBO title. Uh, you know, I think he was right below Jaime Munguia, uh in the WBO rankings. Uh, of course, uh, you know, people uh, over in the UK side, you know, know about him. Uh, he had competed uh, for some time, but uh, he did have a couple of uh, – Losses to Liam Beefy Smith. Uh, but ever since that particular point, he had been riding a winning streak. So, you know, with that, he was uh, going off the momentum of that winning streak, uh, had been knocking out or stopping a uh, majority of the opponents that he was facing before going up against Demetrius Andrade, um, you know, with his last battle being um, – in October against Andrew Robinson, he had a quick win there, a uh, first round knockout. Uh, so, um, I mean, I think, you know, with, with that being said, a good number of people favored Demetrius Andrade uh, in this particular bout. It was a, he was like a significant favorite. Uh, as far as I was concerned, he was a significant favorite. And, you know, this was supposed to be going into this particular bout, uh, one thing where Demetrius Andre would show that he is, you know, much better than, you know, uh, his opponents there uh, in, in reference to Liam Williams. I mean, I know that he, you know, had a few uh, fights, like I said, against the Arthur Akabaros, the Masi Selekis, and the Luke Keelers. Uh, but a lot of fight, uh, people were, you know, disappointed in those type of matchups. So here against Liam Williams, uh, even though Liam Williams came in there with a record of 23 wins, just those two losses and one draw that, you know, um, Demetrius Andrade with his amateur pedigree and, um, you know, who he fought in the amateurs and going up into the pros and, in him claiming himself that he is one of the most skilled fighters in the sport of boxing, that he was supposed to show that and prove that uh, here. Um, but, you know, in in those first uh, couple rounds there, you kind of saw with Demetrius Andre that initially it looked like he was showing the levels of class that he had over Liam Williams and that, you know, Liam Williams, even with his, you know, record and the winning streak that he had coming into this particular fight, that he 
looked like he was, you know, doing uh he was going to go through Liam Williams. Now, uh he had a, you know, real sharp first round followed by a sharp second round. Uh got in there and in round in the second round he went in there with his uh you know lead right jab as he's a southpaw and followed in with the left through the guard of Liam Williams and was able to put Liam Williams down in round two. So uh, he had a good significant lead uh there in round two. But after that, Liam Williams uh really responded very well in those following rounds, rounds three and four. Um got got himself back into the fight. Uh had Demetrius Andre fairly uh you know fairly uh perplexed so to speak which was uh kind of surprising to me. Um but uh he was uh you know he was uh, perplexed but you kind of like seeing that uh you know Liam Williams was uh at least to me uh, a little bit more sharper there uh, over the course of this uh, particular fight. Um, and that it looked like he was, you know, doing a couple of things, landing a few shots uh, to hurt Demetrius Andrade. And I thought like through, you know, about six or seven rounds that, you know, Liam Williams got himself back into the fight, even though he had, you know, after those first two rounds, it was, you know, 2017 initially, uh, there for Demetrius Andre. So, you know, even if he, you know, got like three straight rounds, like from rounds three through round five, you know, he basically would have had the fight even through five rounds. Um, but I thought like, you know, over the course of this particular fight, you, you saw a Liam Williams that was really focused on, you know, trying to get in range with Demetrius Andrade and be able to do his work while Demetrius Andrade, you know, after doing what he did within those first couple of rounds, you really saw Demetrius Andrade just, you know, throw one or two punches at a time, you know, significantly. And uh, when he was doing that, um, it was just like he was trying to, you know, focus on one particular punch, and that was the uppercut. And while he was able to land the uppercut at times, Demetrius Andrade, it wasn't like something that really had Liam Williams in that much trouble. While Liam Williams looked like he wanted to, you know, establish himself with a jab and be able to do more work off of that jab. Um, you know, in response to that, Demetrius Andrade, you know, looked like he was – uh trying to get in close, but when he was getting in close, he would, you know, go for the uh, clinch, you know, um, but it was like a strategic uh, type of clinch or things like that. But sometimes his foot was also the clinching almost looked like he was, you know, off balancing, you know, tackled, uh, <laughs> tackled uh, Liam Williams a couple of times over the course of the fight. Um, but you know, going into the tail end of the bout, you've seen Demetrius Andre be a little bit more active with his shots, throwing more combinations, but it just didn't stop the overall pursuit from Liam Williams, who, you know, tried to get in close, cut off the ring to a certain extent, and, you know, get in work himself. But 
uh, over 12 rounds, you kind of seen that Liam Williams looked like he had his particular strategy come off a little bit better than Demetrius Andre, but the scores uh, kind of showed something else as you had two scores of 118 to 109 and one score of 116 to 111 for Demetrius Andre. And I'll, I'll go into, um, you know, what uh, my overall scores uh, were for this particular bout, but I'm going to add in a couple of guests here right now. Uh, first off, we have uh, checking in uh, from the ATL area. Uh, this should be Brother Mike uh, here with us. Uh, Mike, what's going on? Not much. How you doing, JR? All right, doing good there, Mike. Doing good, uh, checking in. And I think we got uh, a brother from uh, Tampa, you know, going checking in too. So um, we got Brother Terrell uh, that's uh, busy, you know, right Over here now. Over here promoting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Over here promoting. Taste by Terrell, but I don't know if it's taste by Terrell because right now it looks like he's tasting it right. <laughs> What's up, fellas? What's going on? Just checking in real quick. Not much. How you doing, Terrell? Good, man. All right. Yep, yep. Doing good. Just uh, trying to take a break with you, fellas. Uh, man, trying, I got a deadline tomorrow, so trying to ease my mind a little bit, talk a little boxing. Yeah, I won't be able to stay on long, but I'm going to hang in where I can just to check in. Yeah, uh, and we 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 got a question already in the live chat. Shout out to MVO, and the question is the bike, and it's did Mike watch the fight? So no. <laughs> <laughs> who who asked this now? Uh, you know who it is. You know who asked that question, Mike. <laughs> hey. I watched the Jake Paul fight. How about that? <laughs> That's real boxing. I watched that. I rocks. I watched the real boxing. <laughs> no, I didn't catch the Andre fight though. I didn't catch it. It was uh, it came on at like three o'clock or something, didn't it? Yeah, it was around uh, you know, four or five o'clock because you um, you know, Matchroom wanted to cater towards the UK uh contingent. So they scheduled that bout to be at that particular time. So uh, that was, you know, I guess some good planning on their part, you know, to try to maximize the amount of people to uh, that were watching those fights. Um, you know, but I thought that, you know, it was a uh, even bout, quote unquote, even bout. I gave both fighters uh, six rounds. But that would just leave uh, Andre with a one-point win. Uh, so it would be like 114-113 since he scored the knockdown in the second round. But uh, overall, I think a lot of people were very uh, disappointed in Andre because they initially thought that he would just, you know, go through somebody like a Liam Williams uh, being the champion uh, that Andre is. So coming off this performance, it's like – you know, a lot of people who, well, who kind of criticized Andrade were really on him, you know, after that performance and kind of feel like he'll get blown out by the other champions. And, I mean, I, you know, heard from some that they say that Andrade is the lowest rated champion out of the bunch. 
And I'm like, uh, well, there's uh, Ryota Murata that's a world champion. So you're putting Andre below him. So oh, that's crazy, though. Could it, could it have been ring rust or did he really look very uh, vulnerable? I mean, he has looked vulnerable before in other fights as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you look back when Andre fought, what's the guy's name? Luke Keeler, something like yeah. that. Uh, once again, <clears throat> a lot of times we see these fights and they're fighting, they're defending against something that we that we like had never heard of, right? And so you automatically think they're just going to blow them out of the water. I mean, you could say the same thing for the uh, other fight that we're going to talk about on this card with, uh, at 154. Despite the fact that Tony Harrison hadn't fought in a while, uh, he's fought a guy with, with limited opposition. You think he's going to blow him out of the water. So either either the other guy got great coaching or that champion is uh, not, not what we've seen, right? I think I remember back when we talked about uh, Danny Jacob and uh, Rosado, something like that, right? Uh, we know Rosado's been in many, many wars. We know that. He's always been on the on, on the loose end, even though there's something that he should have won, right? Uh, but Danny Jacobs underwhelmed us in that fight, and he likely should have lost, right? So I'm not saying that Andre should have lost last night, but sometimes, like I said, you, we think that these guys should just truck these guys, these lower opponents, but it doesn't happen like that always. Not always. Yeah, man. And, um, you know, the thing with uh, Dietrich's injury is, uh, you know, like you, you were talking about, um, he's had, you know, these fights, uh, you know, over the past few where he's kind of been, you know, making weight. And, um, you know, I would say uh, the thing about it is he's kind of like been at or around that 160-pound limit. And one of the things that was kind of uh, mentioned is, you know, maybe he's having issues making weight because he looked like he was very exhausted within about four or five rounds. And you can't be like exhausted about four or five rounds. Um, you know, uh, if you're going to say that you want to make a statement uh, there in the middleweight division, um, holding the title as long as you've held it. Um, now, I know that he was supposed to have fought Billy Joe Saunders uh, back in 2018, and we all know the ordeal there. Uh, but, you know, outside of that, you know, he, he, he looks like he wants to, you know, almost look like he wasn't trying to make weight and that it was kind of like an issue for him making weight for this fight. So does that mean that he wants to – potentially move up to 168 real soon or maybe next because going off of you know what I see in the schedule or the future schedule uh, there in the middleweight division I don't really see uh, Demetrius Andrade having a uh, big or significant fight uh, coming up at 160 you know um, you know he, he he's been trying to go after of course uh, Jamal Charlo there at uh, 160. Uh, you had the you know whole thing with um, Gennady Golovkin, who's supposed to be on his own, but the reports are out like Gennady Golovkin is planning on fighting, uh, you know, the WBA champion there, Ryota Murata. But 
that fight, they're saying, oh, that fight is not going to happen until December. So you mean to tell me that you're going to have someone in Gennady Golovkin who's almost, he's right there at 39 years old right now, uh, but he's going to be 40 years old going up against a Ryota Murata, and they're going to wait until December to fight? Like, <laughs> that's like crazy, man. That's like nuts. And that, that makes zero sense in, in the zone where this is a, a subscription-based service. You would think that your your top people in, in uh, within your respective sports are to push the platform, and the only way to push the platform is to fight. So barring any unknown injury we may have or something that he may be dealing with, uh, like Harrison and her losing their father or something like that, you know, mm-hmm. there's no reason for him to not fight. Just and it was even more of a shame, but we talked about it before before. Andre and uh Lachlan are both with zone. Why are they not fighting? So is is this a case of just protecting a fighter, would it be Golovkin or, or Andre? Mm-hmm. It, it 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 just doesn't make sense. But like I said, if you got a subscription based service, your top people need to fight. And fighting in December, it it just makes zero sense unless there's some uh, injury that we don't know about, you know? And the thing with Golovkin is, is that he, like, I mean, even though we had this whole thing with the lockdown and whatnot going on in this side, um, like, he's had, you know, the fight against Derevianchenko, that was in October of 2019, and then his defense against Zerometa was in December of last year. So he's going to be going through long layoffs in between fights. And, I mean, I know that he's up there in age, but you, you got to, you know, be able to stay sharp uh, there as a fighter and to have that going on to say, oh, we're going to have him go up against Riona Murata, uh, That's, you know, not necessarily a good look for him. Just have him go up against Demetrius Andrade. This is, we're in April right now. That's like another eight months away. You mean to tell me that y'all can't have a unification uh, go on in between that particular time period to say, hey, we could have something in August, you know, between, uh, you know, those guys or something, or and, and then have, you know, more of a unification by the end of the year. You would have something every four months in the middleweight division. If you're going to have Jamal Charlo uh, go out and, you know, have his fight against Montiel, uh, then why not have a unification over on your side or whatever you're doing? You know what I mean? Because, you know, right now at this point, um, if we had this uh, schedule, let me see if I could pull it up uh, here. Like, Jamal Charlo faces Juan Mantille, and that's for June. And you have that going on. And then the plan with uh, Gennady Golovkin is to fight <laughs> Ryota Morata in December. Like, come on. That that doesn't make much sense. And and we also know from a, what is it, a mandatory perspective that uh, Jaime Munguia, who was supposed to fight next week, his fight has been scratched. And they're trying to put him in another fight card in June. So what does that mean there for Demetrius Andrade uh, for the rest of this year? And even with a possible uh, unification between Andrade and Golovkin, a lot of times what that does, when you have these fighters fighting uh, on the same network, 
uh, same promotional firm, firm when basically when uh, you see there's something going on within the zone, right? A unification. Sometimes that puts pressure on a different promotional firm. You know, oh, those guys are doing something great over there. We want to be a part of that. And, and what that does, it also creates public demand and public interest in further unification between, across promotional uh, platforms, things like that. So it, it just it just bewilders all of us on why these things are not happening. Uh, like I said, it's, it's on, on surface, it sounds like they're trying to protect Golovkin. They want him to get roughed up. Uh, want him to make it out of his contract? Uh, I don't. I don't know. Which is still ridiculous, because they pay this this guy a lot of money. And you pay this guy a lot of money. There's a lot of responsibility to carry the platform, and we all know that Canelo already jumped ship, and there's 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 no other top level fighters on the zone that can carry that flag like Canelo did for them and drive subscriptions. That's the main thing. Right. And the thing with uh, Canelo, you know, just being there, having this fight scheduled for May 8th against Billy Joe Saunders as super middleweight, um, you're going to have him just be there at 168. So why not try to, you know, figure things out at 160? Like you said, uh, with the zone being a subscription platform, you're trying to get as much uh, sports content as possible, uh, especially there on the boxing front. And when you have... Like you said, two champions there in the same division. Uh, you have a contender there in, you know, Jaime McGear. Like, these guys should be able to get in the ring and be able to fight each other. Or, you know, with uh, Andrade and Glocken, and that's not happening. And, you know, with you know, even with that being said, you still have the uh, thing there with McGear also available in, He's not uh, in there to get a world title shot. So um, they have to be able to sort that out uh, here really soon because you're not just going to have Demetrius Andrade having these one fights, you know, against uh, 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 Liam Williams, against, you know, these uh, other guys uh, out there in the uh, middleweight division that, you know, people feel like he shouldn't be fighting. And, you know, and, and to compound on that particular issue, Demetrius Andrade was like one of the most vocal uh, fighters in the division over the past, you know, what, it's been six or seven months because, you know, he was talking about, oh, what Canelo's doing here in the super middleweight division and this and that, and, you know, saying that, oh, I'm, you know, I'm very good too, I'm among the best, and you know, he could have fought me at 160 and went ahead and moved up. And then you go ahead and you have this fight against Liam Williams. And there were a good amount of people that felt like Liam Williams got the better of Demetrius Andrade in this fight. So uh, that was like one thing there. And, um, of course, you know, the whole uh, history that uh, Andrade has had with, uh, you know, likes of Jamal Charlo and even with uh, uh, Jamal's brother, Jamel, uh, there at 154 and 160. And, you know, um, we just like recently had a, a message from uh, Jamel Charlo uh, on Twitter talking about uh, Andrade's sign, you know, with, uh, you know, Hearn, uh, you know, two years after he pulled out, you know, the fight that he had with uh, Jamel Charlo, you know, with a week left in camp. Now they say that they're willing to take whatever. Whose career is hurting now, Charlo's or 
Andre, he said that that mf know damn well Eddie ain't going to abide by any of Al's rules. Uh, and he said, that's, that's the best way to protect that weak-ass chin. Uh, that's coming from Jamel Charlo. So, uh, so you, you know that this uh, back and forth, um, you know, between Andre and the Charlo brothers is, you know, going to continue here. You know, I mean, I, I think that, you know, that is probably the uh, be- best fight that they can make at this point in the middleweight division, you know. Um, and that's and that's kind of like how, how it is uh, right now at this point. Because outside of, you know, making a fight between Andrade and Golovkin, what else in, in the middleweight division is out there to be made? Um, so... If Jamal Charlo, you know, gets it, get this fight against uh, Juan Mantil uh, in June and, and goes to that particular fight, then if Golovkin is really set on fighting Ryota Morata on December this year, which is another eight months away, then there should be no other fight that could be made than Demetrius Andrade and Jamal Charlo. Just go ahead and have that particular fight, you know? Go Go ahead. It's a shame because talk about that. that, What was that, a one-fight deal that Eric Hearn supposedly offered? So, I mean, what what that Mm -hmm. does, that showed the willingness of of a promoter to jump across the street and make a deal. Now, I'm I'm, like I said, just for fun, that actual deal that was was a one fight deal, two fight deal, whatever. But but let's say the thing about it, what we don't see a lot of times, Crawford, uh, Crawford, Errol Spence, we don't even see the offer. But in this case, when, in, in regards to Charlo and Andre, there's at least at least been a reluctance to make and to make a deal, you know. So, what was that? What was the one fight deal that Hearn offered Charlo? What was it? They said what seven million dollars, I think, was the offer. And that was a one fight deal with no options, right? Pretty much. Yep. I mean, seven million dollars is is good money. It's good money. And I, I don't think that that uh, he's not being shorted either. That that's a good market value for him. They ain't got that same money though, right? That was in the beginning when they said they had all that money to to blow. Question mark. They might still have it. You know, they might still have it. You know, uh, that was, you know, something from, you know, last year. Um, and it probably would have still been, you know, on, on the table, you know. Then, and, and the thing was, is that Andre was, you know, kind of like talking a lot, saying that, oh, well, you know, Charlo has this whole thing about being a promoter and having this Lions-only promotions type of ordeal. So if he feels like he's his own promotional company, then why not just come over here and have this one fight deal with, you know, against me? You know, while on the other side, Demetrius Andrade had said that when, when he was given the offer to fight Jamal Charlo, that they wanted to have him be part of a three-fight deal uh, there where he would be on Showtime for, you know, one fight against Jamal Charlo 
and then two more fights under Showtime before he gets released off the deal. So that's what he was claiming. Um, but I would just say, you know what? Either either one of those fighters, you know, just have one offer and then a counter offer and then see what would be the best one and just have that one fight because, you know, I, I don't see why they can't, you know, go ahead and have that bout be, you know, a one-time deal, you know? Just go ahead and get that fight out, get it over with. We have a unification, you know, of these, uh, you know, two uh, young fighters here. Well, not necessarily when it comes to Andre, because he, you know, says he's there among, uh, you know, 33, while Jamal Charlo's there at 30 years old. Like, you know, I just see them as the uh, two guys that, you know, could pretty much carry the division here for the next couple of years or at least the next few years. So, you know, why not go ahead and, you know, just have that particular fight? Because I, I really don't see um, the thing with uh, Demetrius Andrade fighting another, you know, real contender there, you know, outside of uh, Jaime Munguia. And I don't, I'm not sure if people would really be up for seeing Demetrius Andrade fighting Jaime Munguia later this year. You know, so that that kind of like um, is the whole ordeal with with that particular uh, issue there. Um, but before I like go into uh, more as far as like this, uh, these other actions are uh, that happen. Um, you also had the thing there on Fox, um, the main event, uh, Tony Superbad Harrison against Brian Goodfellow Perella. But before I get into all that, they had like uh, one fight that was opening uh, that Fox telecast, and that was uh, Vito Melnicki Jr. against James Martin. Uh, Vito Melnicki was uh, coming in there uh, with an unbeaten record, 8-0, uh, and o going up against James Martin, uh, who had a record of six wins and two losses. And... Uh, some people felt like uh, Mel Nicky uh, was one of the uh, good young prospects that were coming up. Uh, he's there at uh, 18 years old, uh, competing in that, uh, well, it was supposed to be like the welterweight division. Um, you know, had, uh, what was it, a pretty good showing uh, in his last, uh, about a couple weeks ago, well, not a couple weeks ago, a couple months ago. Uh, against Noe Lopez, uh, that was part of the um, uh, Darrell versus Kyron Davis uh, card. But then going up against uh, James Martin, he looked like he couldn't he couldn't even deal with a jab over the course of eight rounds because that's to me that was basically what uh, James Martin was beating him with. Uh, he he just Belnicki <laughs> just couldn't get with the timing of. Uh, James Martin's jab, or he couldn't, you know, respond to, you know, or give like a counterpunch to the jab. And that jab carried James Martin to a decision victory uh, there over Vito Melnicki. Uh, that was a majority decision victory as Max DeLuca, for some reason, thought that uh, Melnicki won four of those rounds, which he didn't. Um, 
so that is the first loss of Vito Melnicki's, uh pro career uh, there. So I thought that was uh, something that was uh, fairly notable uh, there in, in that particular fight card. That uh, next thing that they had there, uh, you also had, uh, what was it, uh, Juarez versus Arajo. But uh, someone uh, getting on, uh, Terrell, you wanted to talk about the Melnicki fight? Yeah, I did get to see that fight. And, uh, well, I'd, I'd say this. So I did see Malik's last, last fight on the network. Heard his backstory. Uh, keep in mind, this kid is 80 years old. So I know it's on the undercard, but how many times have you seen a true 18-year-old that just finished high school last year fight on national TV. Uh, I, I don't I don't recall that. The only other person I know that's young like that is Berlinger Jr., who's fighting on ESPN, and we all know about him, who's never made it past the first round because he's, he's mm-hmm. knocking everybody out. But he's a phenomenal talent at this point, which still, still remains to be tested. We know that. But this kid, I'm like, he just graduated last year? Yeah, he had a good uh, average. I, I get that, but it's it's. I say this: <laughs> ain't that many brothers that's eight years old fighting on national TV? <laughs> He's a bit privileged in uh, getting on, on national TV. Uh, that's what. I, and, and you know what? Last night, the guy that beat him beat him with jabs and effort. That's what he used: jabs. An effort. He's not a power puncher. Does have great power, but he gave a lot. He gave maximum effort in sending this kid back and pushing him back and fighting him back, right? And and the kid had virtually had no answer for him, and so he lost his fight, just like that. And, and, and listen to the broadcast. They were at the beginning of the fight. They kind of said, "Oh, he may have been overmatched here." No, you really can't say that because other kids, other guys has a meager record as well. So you really can't. The guy beat him with jabs and effort. That's what it, that's what happened. So now back to the drawing board, and I really want to see if we don't see him on on Netflix again after his his first. If he do, privilege, privilege. <laughs> yeah, you could. Uh, you know, definitely say that. You know, um, you know, we said that. Uh, you know, well, Milnicki after after his loss, he had put put on his uh, social media that he says everything happens for the reason, you know, not the path that he would have thought he'd be on, but he's there now. So he said, back to the tension, trenches, uh, the grind, and he will be back. But you know, like you were saying there, Terrell, um, you know, he was basically beat by a jab, and there was no adjustment to that. You know, I thought that you know he was supposed to have that type of uh, effort. Uh, to, you know, kind of, um, you know, respond to that, uh, give like a counter shot or, you know, try to be more aggressive and overwhelm, you know, James Martin there, uh, but he wasn't able to do that. And, you know, I just felt like, hey, just that basic uh, effort from James Martin, as you mentioned there, Terrell, was the difference in this particular fight and uh, had Martin uh, get the decision victory. Uh, there, so you know that that's the breaks there for him for uh, Vito Melnicki, and you know 
it, it kind of like goes into, you know, sometimes with uh, a lot of these young fighters, how, you know, the fighters are sometimes carefully matched up uh, to, you know, get their record, build their record up and, you know, try to get them to show how they could develop as a pro fighter uh, before they are able to, you know, get a test, so to speak. But here in this instance, you know, James Martin, uh, with his overall effort, you know, was able to do that. And um, I, I was hoping that, uh, you know, one person would be able to come on uh, here in, in a little bit to, you know, uh, talk about it uh, in, in more detail as, you know, he, uh, James Martin comes from, you know, a uh, certain city uh, that's known for uh, their uh, fighting or boxing history. So, you know, with that being said, um, you know, maybe maybe I'll be able to get on a little bit later. Uh, we'll see about that. Um, you know, but for the time being, wanted to get uh, go forward to, you know, the main event uh, there with, uh, you know, Tony Harrison going up against Brian Perella. Tony Harrison did his, you know, first fight since uh, he was in the ring uh, for that rematch against Jamel Charlo. So, uh yeah, it was been it's been a good little time there. December of 2019, uh, going up against Brian Perella, who you know had originally campaigned at 147 pounds, uh, had his last fight against Abel Ramos last year, uh, being uh, stopped by Abel Ramos last year, uh, last February. So you know, going into the fight, uh, you had like uh, two uh, stories at the same time as. You know, both Perella and Harrison were going in there with different trainers. But, you know, with uh, Harrison's uh, side, we know about his uh, father transition, uh, you know, last year. So um, he had that. Well, he uh, Tony Harrison had his brother in his corner as the uh, chief trainer now. Um, but with Brian Perella, he took a trip over the, I guess, uh, over the P-Cola and got the toolish from, of course, the multi-division world champion, Roy Jones Jr. So uh, you had uh, Brian Perella in there with uh, Roy Jones as his head trainer. And it looked like he was, you know, doing fairly well uh, in this particular bout against Tony Harrison. And on Harrison's side, you know, it's almost like the expectations from, you know, what I was talking about for uh, Demetrius Andrade against Liam Williams. I thought that Tony Harrison, with his overall skill, would be able to get a clear victory over Brian Perella. But his it just seemed like his effort for the a good majority of that fight was just not there. Um, I didn't really see, you know, the aggression um, on offense. And for me, on defense, he, he just leaves – too much, too much of his like body open or his, you know, uh, overall stance. His overall stance leaves him open to uh, have punches landed on him, and that's exactly what Brian Perella was able to do over the course of the fight. Uh, you know, watching live, they were you know showing the live punch stats. Brian Perella was outlanding uh, Tony Harrison by a significant margin for the majority of the fight, and it didn't. It took. Uh, I would say until probably round seven or round eight 
for Tony Harrison to, you know, up his offensive output. And by that time, I just felt like that wasn't necessarily enough to, like, kind of say that he clearly did enough to get through the fight. And, you know, by the time it got through 12 rounds, you know, judges kind of felt like, hey, uh, you had uh, two 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 judges just seen it, you know, completely different. While one judge just felt like it was even all the way through. And um, by that time, it was just a uh, split decision draw there as um, one judge had, um, you know, Brian Perella with a significant lead in the scorecards. He, you know, gave him, uh, what was it, nine rounds. So it was like nine rounds to three for uh, Brian Perella. And it was, you know, eight rounds to four for Tony Harrison, while one judge had it 114-114 to make it a draw. So uh, Tony Harrison was former WBC uh, super welterweight champion, has a draw there against Brian Perella. And it almost seems uh, similar to the last uh, Fox telecast where they had the main event of uh, Kyron Davis there against Anthony Durrell, which also ended up as a draw where I guess, you know, people favored Durrell to go, you know, to go and get the win over Kyron Davis because Davis was coming up and wait for that particular fight. So I don't know what to make of this through uh, for Tony Harrison. Uh, maybe it's something where he kind of like went down to his level of competition or something. But for for someone like a contender of Tony Harrison's caliber, he should have been able to outclass uh, Brian Perella here. But it might also go into what Brian Perella was able to do in the ring. Not sure about it, but um, looks like uh, Terrell had to, you know, be uh, step out here for a little bit. So I'm going to see if uh, Brother Mike has any thoughts on what Tony Harrison did against uh, Perella, if anything. I heard the last point. Um, so watching the fight, I I was aware that his dad passed, but I didn't didn't register to me until you just said it now. So I was watching the fight with a friend of mine who um you know his he knows through association knows Tony Harrison. And so we always watch the fights together and kind of, you know. I, I quasi root for Tony Harrison because my friend, his family knows him. So in watching the fight, I'm like, you're fighting flat. You know, I'm like trying to root him on from my seat, like fight harder, fight tougher, fight whatever. But now since you pointed out the fact that his dad passed, I'm not putting any blame on anything, but what I saw was a man who fought like this shit really don't matter to me. You know, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, he had a lot of other stuff on his mind than boxing. Fortunately, Tony Harrison means a lot more for the sport than does Perella. 
So, you know, you get a favorable nod in that sense. And it seemed like judges like his style, which which to me um, makes fights seem a bit closer. But to be real, I wasn't scoring the fight. I just was kind of like, come on, man. Laying more shots than he landed on you. But I just I just think I saw a man who was fighting flat due to the circumstances that are around. And it's it's totally understandable. So now with that emotional component added to it, yeah, I'm you know, politics as usual, but um I'm not mad that that they um you know, because now you can get a third Charlo fight, which you know he he'll probably lose. But he will get up for that fight. You'll have a lot of drama and people going to want to see it because he was winning the fight <clears throat> before he got knocked out. Or arguably he was winning. How about that? Yeah, I, I, I felt like he was winning that fight. Um, but like uh, Terrell, you had uh, any thoughts on that Harrison uh, Perella fight? Yeah, I didn't get to finish the entire fight. I just saw the first uh, several rounds. I had to uh, let it go. But the one thing I took away from it, uh, like we already know that uh, his father passed away, you know that. And also the fact that uh, his brother was the chief trainer in his corner. And that's the thing I, I want to focus on right there. I mean, it's your brother. You know? So my question is, can his brother really challenge him to rise up to the occasion and be what he's supposed to be, right? It's, I mean, it's your brother, it's your, his family, you grew up with the guy with everything, uh, but can your brother step outside that role and truly challenge you to, and implore you to do more? Because we're just, just in reviewing about towards the later rounds, it's such like, hello, brother, man, hell, they just stay, 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 you hit your head, your head. That's not true. That wasn't true, you know? So is this a case of him just, just taking taking the, the foot off the gas or was Roy Rose uh, coaching his product, you know, well, which one was it? Like I said, for me, the brothers just seem too calm in there and giving advice, things like that. But like I say, you know, as a trainer, you got to challenge your partner mentally and physically in order to get the best performance out of you. Because for, for him, a draw at this point, it does absolutely nothing. I mean, he hasn't fought in over a year, and it draws at least for me back in the same place. It does have nothing for him. So... If 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 he gets a trial fight, I mean, based on, on this performance, there's there's gonna be any public demand for that. Although that they they've already split decisions, split victories at one point in time. But at this point, Charlotte has moved on, unified titles, things like that, and it's getting to fight again. So, I mean, it's just yeah. very underwhelming, and simply leaves you wanting more. Yeah, yeah, it definitely does. Um, I mean. The overall effort there from uh, Tony Harrison kind of like left a lot to be desired. Um, when Brian Perella is able to throw his throw, um, what it was, um, you know, he was able to at least throw more than 200 uh, more punches uh, than uh, Tony Harrison over the course of those 12 rounds. Um, in that you know, even though he was kind of like um, lacking there as far as like overall accuracy, I, it wasn't like it was something that was very significant uh, from an accuracy standpoint. I think, you know, they kind of pointed out to the power punch connection percentage that Harrison was uh, much more accurate with the power shots. But 
Tony Harrison really didn't throw that many power shots or, you know, punches that weren't a jab uh, in comparison to uh, Brian Perella. So, you know, with, you know, with that being said, I just thought it was uh, something where, you know, Tony Harrison could just show like, hey, I'm a former world champion. I mean, I, I could have, you know, beaten a guy that's right now considered the top rated super welterweight out there. And, you know, him going up against someone that uh, kind of was, you know, not really much of a contender uh, in the welterweight division, going up in weight, having, a you know, a trainer there for the first time with Roy Jones, that, you know, he kind of, you know, like you said, it left people wanting more out of Tony Harrison. And, you know, if he's going to be somebody that's going to, you know, contend for a world title once again, he has to be able to handle guys like a Brian Perella. You know, um, you know, I would say with ease um, in, in some instances. And I know that you were talking about, you know, the thing there about Harrison having his brother in his corner. Um, you know, I had talked with uh, Tony Harrison before this particular fight, you know, in reference to going through camp you know, without without his dad and that he said he, he's not necessarily an emotional guy. But he also said that, you know, within those first few days of camp, it looked like he was, you know, getting beat up, you know, fairly significantly and, and, and stuff like that. And that he had to adjust a little bit before he was, you know, more comfortable uh, in a sense. So, you know, with that, you know, out there, you know, I would kind of like say that, Maybe Tony Harrison was a little bit more rusty than he thought, but even in that particular sense, you know, he, um, you know, he should have been able to, you know, do things in order to adjust over like four or five rounds. Like he, you know, he kind of like says he gets more comfortable after a couple of rounds. Well, it just seemed like he still had like a little bit of issues as far as like his timing was concerned. So, uh, I, I don't know what would, you know, happen uh, for him next in this case, because, I mean, you know, like you're saying there with uh, Jamel Charlo, he has that fight against uh, Brian Castaño in July. That'll be for the undisputed title. And, you know, a few weeks earlier than that, you're going to have Erickson Lubin and Jason Rosario uh, there at uh, 154 pounds. And we still haven't, you know, seen what could happen with, you know, what Jared Hurd or Julian Williams, you know, uh, those uh, contenders are still out there uh, at 154 pounds as well. So um, it's just a lot of lot of guys that, you know, are out there that could, you know, be uh, contenders uh, there at 154. You also have like a Sebastian Fundora who's going to be fighting in a few weeks too uh, at 154. So we got to see. I'm very much looking forward to seeing how Fondor does does in this next bout. I mean, this kid is at, at what six six, which is extremely tall in division. Uh, even the, the graphic they put up last night, they, they pretty much put him in the top ten. Uh, I, I'm not sure about that yet. I want to see more. So I remember when he fought on uh, Undercard for Fury Wilder. I think the first fight. Uh, I'm not. I'm not sure. Yeah. It just looks so funny having a kid that's six six fight in that division. I mean, he just hopefully he's gotten stronger, physically stronger. 
uh, knows how to fight tall, even better at this point. But I'm looking forward to seeing him fight again because to see if he can actually uh, figure out as a uh, a contender in, the, in that division. Because like, with Harris's performance last night, like I said, it, it just leaves you wanting more. So people like Erickson Lubin, who's been fighting his way back to uh, to contention, people like that are moving ahead of Harrison, who is remember a former world champion. So, mm-hmm. but with like said, with that performance like that, you don't uh, create any buzz. Have, after having been uh, for more than one year, and I see these other people like that, they're going to move ahead of you in the rankings. That's what's going to happen ultimately. And like I said, you can't beat a B level contender, you can beat down. There's a bunch of demand for that, for a fight yep. somewhere at the top at all. Yep. And that was a, a you know, good uh, name to reference. Uh, there in uh, Erickson Lubin as, you know, Lubin, not only, you know, is he in position, you know, like I was mentioning, uh, facing Jason Rosario to, you know, kind of like put his name out there as like the highest ranked contender uh, in 154 pounds. But, you know, he also, you know, has kind of like fought the higher ranked competition up to this particular point, you know. Um I mean, I just feel like it's, uh, you know, it's just uh, basically, you know, with him kind of like getting these fights, it's, it's interesting that, you know, he was in a position to fight uh, Terrell Garcet last year, and that put him, you know, there against Jason Rosario, who's coming off that, you know, knockout loss uh, to Jamel Charlo. So it's uh, two, you know, guys there that, you know, fought and lost to Jamel Charlo that, you know, could with the win, get in position to have a rematch uh, against uh, Jamel Charlo there. But, you know, on the flip side with Tony Harrison, he he actually has a win over Jamel Charlo, but it looks like he's going on his way down as far as like his level of competition in comparison to, you know, getting his way back up. And, you know, I would be interested to see Tony Harrison against one of those other contenders at 154. Maybe, you know, a fight against, um, you know, Julian J. Rock Williams, who, you know, we haven't really heard much from since his loss to uh, Jason Rosario. And, you know, that he, um, you know, he had also split with his trainer in uh, Stephen Edwards. So we don't know, like, what he's going to be able to do in the ring here next. So. Um, makes that 154-pound uh, division interesting here for the rest of this year. Uh, but, you know, it just remains to be seen how it's going to shape itself up as all we have are those uh, two fights that are coming up in the summer, you know, that would be what could, you know, more shape up uh, what's going to happen uh, there at 154 pounds. So, you know, with uh, Tony Harrison, I'll be interested to see what the direction uh, will be for him next, you know, after getting this majority draw decision here against Brian Perella. Um, not sure if they'll, you know, try to go for a uh, rematch there or anything like that, especially, you know, with them having this be uh, put in a uh, Fox telecast. I don't think that they're going to uh, try to go for that uh, once again, uh, therefore, you know, uh, Fox. So, you uh, that that kind of like uh, shapes up what you know happened there in uh, Los Angeles, and um, now 
I'm gonna just see if I could just go into, yeah, when it ended up happening uh, over in Atlanta. Uh, but before I, I, I go into, you know, the the main event and the card overall, I wanted to, you know, touch on, um, you know, the supposed co-feature bout that they had on there. Uh, you had, you know, former uh, world champion Regis Prograce, um, you know, in a bout, and he was there against um, Ivan Redcatch. And... Huh. Jay. Like, yeah. Hey, give me a second. I might need to be taken out of the broadcast on this trip. All right. I'm, I'm hurt right now. Yep. Um, so, so the thing is, is um, I wanted to go into that a little bit. Um, Ridge's progress, like I was saying, was a former champion. Um, and he he came in there with a record of uh, 24 wins and one loss going up against Simon Redcatch. Uh, you know, someone that, you know, kind of like is back and forth between 140 and 147. I had a record of 23 wins, five losses and one draw. And it was just, for me, something to show like where Regis Progress uh, wanted to show his uh, overall level of skill there. And, um, you know, he was able to do that over the course of the bout. And, uh, you know, I thought that he was going to be you know, well on his way to a, you know, a uh, stoppage victory or KO victory. He was really looking fairly sharp. Um, his movements are, you know, not necessarily, he doesn't really give too much as far as like his overall effort. Like he doesn't overexert himself. He like, seems like he's well balanced and, you know, cool, calm and collected. That's what I basically have seen. Uh, with him over the course of his bouts, even, you know, against his uh, fight against Josh Taylor uh, in that World Boxing Super Series final. And it looked like he was well on his way to, you know, getting a uh, stoppage victory. And then at one point he he was just going in there and he had Ivan Redcast backed up, almost going to the ropes. And then he tried to get in with a body shot and after that right hand, Ivan Redcatch like went down like the proverbial quote sack of potatoes and didn't necessarily get up. And the referee that was there, he started to count. And then it was just like he stopped the count and everything like that. And that scene was just, man, I, I, I just didn't understand it. Because it looked like they were trying to contemplate if it was like a, a, a low blow or, you know, a, a punch, I guess, you know, about the kidneys or something like that. But they just ended up, you know, having a ruling as that being a KO, ruling it as a KO win. Um, and the live reaction to it um, was that it seemed like Ivan Redcatch for, to some people looked like he wanted to, you know, get himself out of there. Um, that he was, you know, that he knew he was outclassed um, and everything like that. 
that he really didn't have much of a shot to beat Regis Pro Grace. And for him going down like that to some just felt like it was like a bailout, so to speak. Um, and it almost goes into some of the thoughts of the actual card in general. Um, but, you know, Pro Grace, who, you know, last year could have uh, ended up fighting uh, Maurice Hooker, uh, but that fight, you know, kind of fell through. So he ended up fighting uh, Juan Geraldez in that uh, card for um, Gavante Tank Davis versus Neil Santa Cruz. He was part of that undercard over in San Antonio. Uh, so outside of that, um, you know, we're trying to just see where he's going to be at, whether it's going to be at 140 pounds or at 147. Um, he could still be a good contender at 140 pounds if he's able to stay within that weight. But as of right now, I really don't see him kind of like being uh, there at 140 pounds. So he's going to be uh, soon at 147, just like uh, you saw there with, um, you know, the uh, former uh, champion there. Uh, in um, what was it uh, like? You know, with Red Cash being back there, back and forth. I wouldn't say like you know Red Cash was a you know a, a contender there at 147 at any point, but you also had Maurice Hooker uh, there that was at 140 pounds as a WBO champion before moving up, and we saw what happened with Maurice Hooker at 147 going up against Virgil Ortiz Jr. Uh, so. What would happen with uh, Regis Progress if he goes up to uh, 147 pounds? That remains to be seen. But um, going into that, uh, Brother Mike, uh, were you able to catch that particular fight? Because the the card overall, I, I, man, it, I, I can't really get – I don't know how I can really summarize that card overall, but um, – Mike, if you were able to uh, catch this particular uh, bout, you could uh, share your thoughts here. <clears throat> yeah, I definitely watched the fight. Um, was I scoring it? No. Um, I watched it from my purview, but it just was like, it wasn't very exciting to me. You know, I hate to criticize boxers because you know they are champions to me for going in there and, and doing what they do but um right it was just kind of like you know it was just kind of straightforward and repetitive sort of and when you the the most exciting thing was to see how the fight was going in and then once you kind of like saw that he hit him like I was I was hoping that maybe he grazed him on a rib and broke a rib or something I mean, not not hoping. I didn't hope his rib got broke. I'm just saying I was hoping it wasn't that he was trying to, like, quit and get out of the fight and that it was actually something to where it wasn't just him taking a a dive, per se. But it was a pretty um, – I, this is not Prograde's fault, but it doesn't make me want to watch – just be clamoring to watch Prograde fight again, you know. Um just my feeling. I know Pro Gray is well. If he fights somebody good, then yes, I'll I'll want to watch it. But 
Yeah, it just was kind of lackluster. And then the dude kind of wanted a reason to leave the ring. So would, would you, would you uh, watch Progress if he did get a fight with Maurice Hooker in the future? Yeah, definitely. I would, I would watch that fight, yeah. Because at least it's a a person not only punching back, but trying to like righteously win. From, from the background, they were um, sparring partners. So that's why it looked it looked like a sparring match. It looked very um, like routine, sort of like they knew each other. Um, the other guy kind of knew what his place was. Hey, fall in line. Don't do nothing too crazy. And instead of me like knocking you out, just just fall. Yeah, it almost seemed like that, didn't it? Uh, especially with that, you know, the way that it ended. Um, that doesn't you know, help you fans, though. Nope, sure doesn't. Sure doesn't. Um, you know, for progress, like I, like I was saying, I, I don't know what would you know end up being next for him because, you know, there was I remember um, at one point he was mentioned as a potential opponent for Adrian Broner. Um, so I don't see like that could be a possible fight. Um, I know that Broner, after you know he had his fight this year, that he said that he wants to stay active. Uh, he wants to you know get in the ring as often as possible. So why not have a fight between you know Grace and, and Broner? Do you actually think Broner would take that because it it wouldn't be. The fact that Prograde would throw more punches than Broner means that he has a better chance of winning, just percentage-wise. I'm not speaking on skill level. I'm not speaking on anything like that. I'm just saying the fact that he throw more punches. Do you think Broner actually would take that? Like it, With this fight, there's nothing in it for Broner to fight Prograde. For Pacquiao, there's something in it. For name another superstar, there's something in it. A Keith Thurman at 147. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think Broner would take Keith Thurman. He would more so take a Danny Garcia before he take a Keith Thurman. He Keith would. Thurman could potentially knock him out. What you think? Keith Thurman could, but I also think Danny Garcia could. Yeah, but I think they both could knock him out, yeah. But I think Keith Thurman would try to knock him out. Danny Garcia would happen to knock him out as he countered. The, the Danny Garcia and um, AB fight would be more like, yeah, this is kind of boring because they both waiting to counter each other and they both doing this like left hook ish thing that that nobody really engaging. Keith Thurman would give Brown an opportunity to throw his left hook because he gonna come and try to knock him out and throw punches up, down, left, right. Um, the safest fight for him even though he could get knocked out, is Danny Garcia. There's no incentive for him to fight Progray. Um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Tampa, Tampa, St. Pete. I mean Clearwater. There's no reason to fight him because he could he could truly knock him out, and that would be embarrassing. And it would be, but I mean, the payday could be up there, though. That would probably be uh, Broner's highest guarantee. Oh, you think? Yeah. 
Well, there you go. Yeah. Um, the only thing is, I wouldn't be too sure if it would be like a pay per view or not. So that that kind of like is uh, that would be the issue there with Adrian Broner. But you know, like I was saying, if he if he doesn't want to get in the ring there against Regis Progress, then you know those are probably the only other options that that he has uh, there at 147 pounds because like I. I I, I really don't see him uh, or Broner that is, you know, kind of like getting himself up for a fight against, you know, any of these other guys at 147 uh, that may be out there, you know. Um, I know that, you know, at one point we were talking about potentially uh, putting him in there against someone like Jerron uh, Boots Ennis, but not, there's no way that he's going to go up against Jerron Ennis this point there's no way um so with broner it's like it's a showcase fight um if he's not fighting like a guy that's uh thurman or or garcia then it's somebody that you know he would probably be highly favored against but not that many people would be interested in seeing him fight so you know, that's what he has in, in that instance. And from the uh, thing with Progress's part is, you know, maybe he could, you know, get in there against a Maurice Hooker or against a uh, Virgil Ortiz or something like that. If he's going to be at 147 pounds, but right now we just don't know what his, you know, clear intent is at this particular point of his career. Because after he had his loss to Josh Taylor, it was like, Okay, do I stay at 140? Do I try to get myself up to 147, or what? What am I gonna do? And I think he's still at that particular point where it's like, do we kind of compete at 140 or stay, you know, 147 right now? So uh, hopefully he, uh, you know, was able to, you know, make that decision uh, here pretty soon to you know, continue his, uh, you know, professional career there. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah. but that's the thing about it. Um, but here's the thing is that, yeah, they they didn't, uh, they said it was something like a KO, but the thing about it is, is um, they say that it wasn't ruled as a KO. That's crazy. You know, I yeah, thought that Okay. You know, they look like it was, um, you know, that he, uh, with the thing with progress, they, they like gave him a belt. They, you know, put him in as they said he was like a winner or something like that. Or So, yeah, I don't, you know, I don't understand how, what, what went, um, what went on there. You know, they say that you know, that it was like, uh, I guess, what, an accidental foul or something, you know what I mean? But uh, it was just bad. Like you said, it looked like a sparring session there between Pro Grace and, and the Ivan Redcatch. And, you know, the way that it, it kind of ended, kind of kind of summarized, well, I wouldn't say summarized, but it was part of how the overall card itself was, because I know that we had the whole thing with the uh, main event there with uh, Jake Paul and, and Ben Askren. And uh, I, I, 
I just don't, I know, I know what the overall presentation from Triller is, you know, um, that Triller, you know, at its base, it's, it's like a music platform that has now ventured into boxing. But the way that this particular card was, in comparison to how they did the Tyson versus Jones telecast, this was a lot worse. And they it like they, it took all the momentum that they had from that first telecast and took it all away with this one. And it wasn't just with the the way that the last fight that main event there with uh, Jake Paul and Ben Askren, how that went down, but the other fights that were you know part of the card and and the whole thing with the performances and how they handled you know having you know commentary during these fights, it was like it was very. I did not like how they presented this particular uh, telecast overall. You know, I know that you had like these performances, Snoop Dogg and E40 and Too Short and uh, uh, Doja Cat and Justin Bieber and uh, what is it? Um, you know, some other some other performances from people that I ain't you know really much heard of. Sorry, I just don't really much hear of them. And this whole back and forth and having a, a, a slap competition be part of the part of the thing. Um oh, it was a slap competition? Yeah, there was a slap competition in between the fights that were going on. They put in a slap competition. Did somebody uh get knocked out? Yeah, someone someone uh, fell. They they basically fell. It was it was you get slapped until you get knocked down. That's how it usually worked. But they had Claire is the one who kind of like administers the slapping contest. Like as someone who is there to watch boxing, that is not what you want to see. You know, <laughs> so somebody got slapped from Rick Floyd said, Woo, that's what happened. <laughs> it's kind of, it's kind of how that kind of, you know, went down. But oh, well, I gotta, I gotta watch that. That seems, um, kind of, yeah, overall, I don't even know if this thing is, uh, oh, I actually gotta pull the thing for, um, the car too, because one of the other things that, you know, we people were talking about during the live telecast was um, there was like one fight that went, that was going on and they were talking about the referee and it was just, it was just so bad. It looked like, it said like the referee looked like Fat Joe or something. I was like, oh man, see, this is, you know. Was it Snoop who said that or was it somebody else? Nah, it was like, uh, you know, fans that were watching the fight, you know. Um, you also had like, um, what is it? Uh, former, you know, former uh, cruiserweight world champion Steve Cunningham going up against Frank Mir in, in his fight card. And for someone uh, like a Steve Cunningham that's supposed to, you know, show that he has much more experience in the, in the boxing ring than Frank Mir. Uh, that he wasn't able to, you know, 
get a, a uh, KO win or a stoppage win over Frank Mir. That kind of like, you know, said uh, everything that needed to be said about that particular fight itself. But like, and, but to me, it kind of uh, just made me concerned about what would happen when you're you're going to have Teofimo Lopez in there against George Cambosis Jr. Triller has that fight, and that's supposed to be for you know the unified lightweight title. And for those that you know have followed the news as far as like that particular fight in a fight card, they're gonna have Evander Holyfield in there as part of that particular fight card. And it's, it's you know, not looking good in, in, in that instance as well, because it's like, why are you having Evander Holyfield there going up against Kevin McBride, of all people, man? Like, you know, initially we were going to have Evander Holyfield against Mike Tyson. That was going to be the plan. But the whole thing here is that now Mike Tyson and his league that he's that he was doing, they've had a little bit of a conflict with Triller. So now you really don't have that legends only league type of, you know, um, thing with Tyson, not on Triller, you know, right now. So Triller's in this little issue, I guess, so to speak, when it comes to trying to have uh, these fighters, you know, try to get back into it. So now you have Evander Holyfield out there, and I guess they're semi-holding a bag with Evander Holyfield. And now he's getting in the ring against Kevin McBride. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is not going to look good at all. They had, you know, the whole thing with um, Teofimo Lopez and George Cambosis in a press conference earlier this week. And they got into a semi-confrontation in there. Uh, They were part of a commentary during the telecast last night. And I'm just hoping that it just doesn't turn something that's supposed to be an actual, you know, sanctioned, lightweight title fight into some type of entertainment ordeal. I hope it doesn't end up that way. And I know that, you know, yeah, they bid $6 million for it, $6.1 million for it or whatever it is, but that doesn't mean that you can possibly take away from the overall integrity of the sport of boxing that way. So when that fight does happen between Lopez and Cambosis, I hope it's not as bad as what we saw last night. Mike Tyson said they owe him some money. I was watching his show. Oh, we said that in this last podcast? Uh, I don't know when the podcast was, but I, I recently watched the podcast with uh, Sugar Shane, Mosley, oh, Sugar oh, Ray Burns, and uh, Leonard. Yeah, that was a couple yeah. weeks ago. Yeah, he he said some. He mentioned something about it in there. But um, I mean, Trilla, 
they they know their model, but they kind of need things that are able to make them have like random flair because it's gonna get old really really fast if you don't have a Mike Tyson or whatever else. Um, you know, Vandy Holyfield is is definitely uh, a great champion, but you know, notoriety he ain't Mike Tyson. Right. So now they got George Foreman. Well, I don't know. You think people still high on George Foreman with his, like with him having the grill and stuff? He pretty pretty high name recognition, right? Yeah, well, I mean, I say so. Yeah. Oh, but um, what's his name? De La Hoya was talking about coming back. You know, he was talking being real silly. So maybe maybe he'll fight. Yeah, he he has something planned that he's trying to. You know, get back in the, you know, get back in the ring himself, um, and <laughs> that was uh, just, um, yeah, I, I don't know how that kind of like uh, is going to be, man, because um, <laughs> right now the story with Oscar, you know, De La Hoya is, you know, how he 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 was. Uh, <laughs> He was uh, being in there during the commentary during that fight between Steve Cunningham and Frank Beer. It was like he was either, you know, either high or drunk or stoned or, you know, whatever it is. And, and you know, him potentially planning himself on, uh, you know, fighting again. Uh, man, I, I don't, yeah, I don't know about all that, you know. Cause um, yeah, he he just didn't uh, he just didn't sound very well at all last he night. Didn't. He didn't, and then he called what's his name U USSR. Yeah, <laughs> USSR Cunningham. They was like, they was like, like, wait, what? There's some Soviets in here. It was very funny. funny. <laughs> 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 And then what's his name? Um, Snoop Dogg called the dude Papa. Fight Papa. Snoop Dogg funny man. Yeah, it, it was just uh, 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 an overall mess, man. That was an entire mess uh, there. You know, during that particular fight. Uh, but you don't think the captures the casual fan that random stuff like that? Like the uh, shenanigans in the midst of boxing, people should should be getting knocked out though. It wasn't enough knockouts in in their telecast. Right. So matchmakers got to do better with with people getting knocked out. Right, uh, and and it has to be like something that is you know semi legit or whatever it is. Like not only was like the thing with the main event there, you know, between um. Jake Paul and Ben Askren, you know, that just didn't look, you know, all too hot. Um, but there was like another fight. What was it? Uh, 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 Joe Fournier against, uh, who was this? Uh, Andres Nadono or what was it? Raycon or semi-Ray. Yeah, Raycon. Calls himself Raycon. 
And you, you kind of seen that <laughs> Raycon uh, was not <laughs> in there to fight anybody. Like you just seen like he was just throwing arm punches and slapping them out. It almost seemed like he he looked like one of those guys did, uh, you know, boxing uh, people that, you know, follow boxing uh, scene, like who would be viewed as, who would be considered as like the worst boxer ever. And if y'all just look at, you know, I guess it would be like on videos through YouTube or whatever it is, if you look up worst boxer ever, and I think it's somebody named Sutherland or something like that. And if you watch the video, when you see how he fights, it's almost like he fights and is trying to just throw arm punches or whatever it is. That's how it looked like with Raycon. And, and by the time he got, you know, hit with a big punch and got knocked down, he knew that he didn't want, you know, much of anything at all in, in reference to that. So um, that... You know, that's uh, what we did. Uh, you know, that's how that overall, you know, card was. It was just something that while it was, you know, mainly an exhibition type of, you know, atmosphere, it just looked like what Triller was doing from a presentation standpoint in this card was just worlds different than what we saw with the production and the presentation and the matchups that they had within that card for um, Mike Tyson versus Roy Jones. I mean, you had the whole thing with uh, that Paul versus Nate Robinson that was a co-feature, but you had other fights that were in there, you know, whether it was against like a pro boxer against the MMA fighter or anything like that, that you kind of like seeing more of something that looked more like a boxing card with performances tied to it. Like they combined both of those and the overall production looked great. But this here just looked like an entire mess to me. And, you know, it kind of reminded me of, you know, those cards that they had back when, you know, Rock Nation uh, had their uh, thing going on with uh, getting venturing into boxing. And then when they, you know, had their telecast going that they wanted to, you know, have fights and also have performances, you know, next uh, alongside them. But it just made the whole thing look kind of mar mashed up, and, uh, you know, not well put together. And that's what I saw uh, with this uh, telecast last night. It was just not a good way to present um your product, whatever it was, you know. Um, yeah, I know that people, you know, look like, knew that it was like an exhibition type of fight of sorts, but, you know, people were still, you know, having their eyes towards it um, to see how it would turn out, given what happened the last time and given what is going to happen in the future with uh, Teofimo Lopez and, this is not look it, it just doesn't look good at all. And they're gonna have to do a whole lot more work if they wanna go ahead and try to continue on this particular venture. Uh they're combining sports with music and entertainment there. So uh that's what I had uh for you know that particular thing overall. You had any thoughts on it? Uh 
Yeah, I would like to come in on the Jake Paul fight. I'm not right. coming in on the fight, but what I will say, I'm on to them. What they're going to do is keep putting this guy against. So somebody going to talk smack against him. This this, is this the formula. Somebody talk smack against him. Said person does not have any or very poor boxing skills because to put him in against a MMA person who I guess is a wrestler who doesn't have very much boxing skill. Um, and, you know, draw it up like this is an MMA guy or this is a blah, blah, blah guy. And he should have killed Jake Paul. And, you know, give Jake Paul credit because you could tell he's definitely getting better. He looked better in terms of um, his movement. I mean, it wasn't much to look better against in, in uh, Nate Robinson, but you could tell he's taking it serious and that he he wants to meet the obligations that, that that's put in front of him. But they're going to always put him in front of somebody who's inadequate but has the appearance of being a a warrior, you know. But they won't have very many boxing skills. And that's what happened the other day. They put him in with an MMA retired person who obviously didn't have very much boxing skill. And, you know, he got knocked out. Kudos to him, though. Yeah. And, and that goes into, um, you know, what I, what I uh, just recently saw on the uh, social media stratosphere. You know, like you were saying, um, it looks like the plan is to, you know, have guys that, you know, either have some type of fighting background that's not necessarily in boxing, but in mixed martial arts or, you know, whatever it is, and put them in the ring against, a, you know, a Jake Paul or, you know, even Logan Paul or whatever it is. And, you know, get, get some money, whether they win or whether they lose. And, um, you know, just going off of, you know, one one guy that's uh, one of the usual guests uh, here on this particular podcast, you know, they said uh, on social media, now it's like MMA dudes are lining up to get knocked out now because they can make more money doing that than what Dana paid them as in Dana White the last few years combined. So <laughs> the way that UFC, the way that the UFC thing is going, um, like they don't necessarily get paid very well um, in the fights. And now all they could do is just, they could just say, hey, I don't have to, you know, do much there from UFC. And I could just go ahead and have one fight, you know, there with the Jake Paul and, get paid a couple million dollars or, you know, 500 grand at minimum or something. And I'll be getting paid more than what I was getting paid over in UFC. So it is crazy because it's like you get something with a guy that doesn't, you know, necessarily have any type of boxing background, but the large following that he has on social media gives him the ability to go into the boxing ring and have those fights and have enough interest from his fans to get that type of money. And whoever he fights gets at least a minimum off being his opponent. And that minimum is still more than what they make off of UFC. That's the crazy part about it. 
Yeah, that's true. That is um maybe it's worth it to get knocked out, you know. Mm, I mean, I don't know if it's worth it to get knocked out, but I mean they're they're definitely uh contemplating that uh, as far as like what, what could happen, but it's not like you know we feel like they could really be seriously hurt from a Logan Paul, but that guarantee just says, hey. Maybe I can get something good off of this. If they offered you a million dollars to get in with Mike Tyson, you wouldn't take it. What's your price, James? <laughs> he said Mike Tyson. <laughs> What's your price? I'm saying somebody that you know a pretty high chance that you're going to get knocked out. What's your price? Five million. <laughs> Five. Five million. The thing is, if if you get a Deontay Wilder to knock you out just like that, it's it's over with, you know. You got a million dollars. Didn't take no punishment. Or you could uh get taken out on a stretcher and uh, you know, and 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 act like you hurt, get taken out on the stretcher. That could also work. So I could be risking myself to end up being like uh like how that fight was, you know, with Archer Spilka getting myself folded. <laughs> no, 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 no. I meant more Regis Prograde fight. Like you get taken out oh. on your own volition uh, on the Yeah. Well, hey, sounds more mean, appealing now, don't it? Yeah, sounds a little bit more, but I would be like uh yeah, nah, I, I, I give myself an overall guarantee because at least it will, as long as I don't have that potential to end up looking like Nate Robinson, then, you know, maybe we have something. But, yeah, going up against someone that was either, you know, that is or formerly a professional boxer, yeah, nah, because those – those guys, you know, their hands are registered weapons, basically. You, yeah, you don't want to go ahead and get too far into, you know, trying to do much against those guys without a good little guarantee. So, yeah, I would have to seriously think about what my price would be <laughs> before I get into the ring against one of those guys, you know. So, um, you know, that's, I, that's what I – that's my thoughts on it. Like, how, how would you how would you go about it? <clears throat> well, um, you know, I had an eye injury, uh, a detached retina. And so um, pre-detached retina. Yeah, I would have I would have considered it. You know, if somebody was like, you get a million dollars, get knocked out. Because, yeah, I mean, it ain't nice. It's not a good feeling, but. You, you will recover, you know. It ain't that. It ain't as bad as um, you know. I'm not saying it ain't bad, but it's 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 um. Uh, you can surmount it. It's not unrecoverable. But after eye injury, no, I don't think I would fool with that, you know, because I'd rather have my eye than somebody hit me in the eye and you know some crazy stuff happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel you on that. I feel you. Um, 
But, you know, that, you know, kind of like goes over the thing there for uh, their overall fight card. And like I said before, um, with that overall presentation and how that is going, I really hope that they do a much better job come the next time when they have Teofimo Lopez going up against George Cambosis. Um, that's supposed to be what's scheduled for, I think it's, uh, was it about June? Um, yeah, June 5th. So hopefully they, you know, have a, a better overall presentation uh, for that particular matchup because uh, outside of that, I really am not, you know, all too down for uh, having these other fights be part of something with a world, you know, a unified world title bout. So uh, hopefully they get things uh, straightened out with that and it, it ends up being better by that time. All right. In this last uh, segment here, wanted to get into something that uh, was recently on the newswire before the weekend started. Um, and it's kind of goes into the business of boxing. Uh, so recently um, we had news about, you know, former uh, world champion uh, there and Rob Brent files filing a, a lawsuit against promoters, Great Cohen, Great Cohen Promotion, uh, Repass Boxing, I think that's uh, how it's titled, and Top Rank and that he is uh, seeking damages uh, for violations of the Muhammad Ali Act, uh, violations of Nevada regulations, and fraud uh, by omission, other you know methods of fraud, and a breach of good faith and fair dealing, and that uh, co-promoters Greg Cohen and Corey Reprach, I think, violated the Muhammad Ali Act by performing the functions of managers in their dealings with co-promoter uh, Top Rank. And uh, he, like, alleges wrongdoing by Cohen and Ripatch. Um I think, like, uh, one of the details on it was, you know how we have these whole things with co-promotional deals, like even, you know, the likes of, uh, um, like, say, um, maybe even like a Terrence Crawford or uh, even like a um, uh, Luis Ortiz has been in the middle of it. Even uh, you have something with, you know, Canelo Alvarez. I mean, even right now with uh, Tyson Fury, you have these co-promotional deals. But in this case with Rob Brandt, um, they kind of like made a deal in reference to being co-promoters that, took a good or very significant amount of money uh, from Rob Brandt for him having fights in that it could have been up to, you know, like 30% of Rob Brandt's fight purse would go off to promoters, whether it's through uh, Greg Cohen or through top rank. And so because of that, like he's saying like, oh, this overall deal is, you know, not fair at all to me. But 
it kind of like goes into the business of boxing in that boxers kind of don't necessarily get the, you know, full information of the contracts that they are being offered. And from what I've heard, the thing with uh, what was worked out with uh, Greg Cohen and Top Rank, that Greg Cohen went to Rob Brandt and said, hey, this is the offer for this co-promotional deal. Take it or leave it. And he's like, whoa, wait a minute. How is it like that? But for me, initially hearing all of this, it's like, why would someone go into that particular deal or go into that particular offer when you instructed that promoter to do something and they violated what you instructed them to do? But this is like, it's almost like old news to me in the sport of boxing. Uh, This is nothing that I'm really surprised about. And I just feel like it's interesting because it's Rob Brandt and Rob Brandt being on the top rank is similar to uh, Mr. Terrence Crawford under top rank. And Brandt and Crawford do have the same trainer in Brian Bo McIntyre. Um, Yeah, this isn't necessarily a good look uh, if it does go forward. Uh, for top rank. Um, But it also like puts things up in the air as far as like anyone else that's under, you know, that uh, promotional company. But in reference to Rob Brand himself, uh, they have these details like he's trying to sue for, it looks like an excess of $75,000 when the way that the details came out, Look like they took a whole lot more than $75,000 from Rob Brent over the past uh, couple of years or so. But, you know, I'm hoping that Rob Brent comes out of this, you know, with a victory. But I would have I would have looked for more than $75,000 if that's what he's, you know, suing for damages for. Because that overall deal is just, you know, not a good look. But I guess given the circumstances on both sides, maybe that's, you know, the most that he could get in this particular instance. But what, like, Mike, what do you think about this whole thing as far as, like, contracts are concerned when it comes to, you know, promoters and managers compared to the fighters that are out there? I mean, it's kind of twofold. Let, let me let me not say my comment because what I was gonna say was, I mean, what I'm saying is true. It's part part of it is on the fighter, and part of it is on the promoter. If if you are getting, you know, loan shark, loan shark like percentages taken against you, thirty, forty percent, and you are. At this point in time, when when you know there has been enough literature on boxers getting taken advantage of, then you know there there's a disconnect. But let me let me say this: in that, if you haven't been around the sport and you just got the talent, and somebody's like, "Trust me, I'll help you out," then I mean, I can see somebody getting taken advantage of. So that's why. I rescinded my comment. I think it's wrong. You know, there's no way somebody should be taking 
you know, three out of 10 of your coins when you are doing most of the work. Like, I think the model that the PBC has is a decent model and you pay a whatever fee for somebody to manage, advise you. But the one thing wrong with that is that the publicity, like Eddie Hearn is, is a good promoter to me. He does what he needs to do in terms of actually promoting his guys, putting his guys in positions to where, I mean, sometimes they could lose, but he put them in a position to where they could also win. Um, but he going to promote you. He's going to give you the buzz. And I don't know how he is in terms of, of like his deal making, like whether he's fair or not. But I at least know you will get promoted. Bob Arum, kind of old. He like, I've done it. If if you don't sell yourself, what's the reason for me to sell you? And it's just, you know, yeah. I mean, the thing with um, Eddie Hearn is that, you know, up to this particular point, I really haven't heard much from anybody that either currently or has dealt with Eddie Hearn that has said that he you know, hasn't like given them a fair, fair shake or a fair deal. Uh, so, you know, that's how he's, you know, able to, you know, continue with his business there with uh, Matchroom Boxing without, you know, anybody really saying much of anything of how he handles business. Um, when you talk about the thing with uh, Al Heyman and his, you know, man managerial company, he like kind of like advises many of his fighters to, try to handle as many things as they can on their own or try to invest in their own product, uh, depending on where they're at in their particular point of their careers. So that if they invest in themselves, by the time that they have their fight, they'll be able to get more off of, you know, the, the overall purse or the overall revenue for those particular fights. Um, you know, it's been mentioned uh, here that, you know, a lot of those fighters basically get two checks off of the fights or the events that they do. So, you know, whether they have, you know, their thing tied to it with, uh, you know, maybe a man down promotions in reference to it, you know, Errol Spence or Lions only promotions when it comes to the Charlo brothers or, you know, something like that. They're able to, you know, do that type of investment while not working on the back end like, you know, what Tom Brown does or, you know, someone else that, you know, works under, you know, the things there for um, fights that happen on Showtime or Fox. So they're able to get, you know, better deals off of that. But the old, the older type of um, promotional or managerial process, you know, still is intact with the likes of a top rank or, you know, someone like that. And as long as there are fighters that are under that particular banner, then they have that possibility of where they end up in a deal where they could get more exposure on one end, but the price of that is losing uh, a bigger percentage of their purse because they made that type of deal. Uh, so as long as th that still goes on, then you know, these fighters got to be able to watch out for it. And here in this particular case with Rob Brandt, um, you know, the report is like he is, you know, like I said, seeking damages uh, uh, in excess of $75,000. Uh, 
um, in, in reference to what uh, Greg Cohen and Corey Rapace was uh, doing there as as managers. But, you know, given what he was able to kind of like do, him being able to get a world title, um, of course, he you know, he had one defense of that title and then ended up losing uh, in a rematch. But getting that type of, you know, opportunity is something that like a lot of fighters aren't, you know, necessarily able to do uh, unless if it's like much later in their careers. So, um, I mean, that's that's how it was kind of presented to Rob Brandon at this particular point. But um, those deals are, are fairly common uh, in the sport of boxing. And, you know, I've had uh, guys that have, you know, been on here that kind of talk about those uh, deals or whatnot. So these fighters got to be able to be on the lookout for it. And you kind of see, like I said, with the uh, thing with uh, Heyman is a lot of these fighters are able to control more of what goes on more when it comes to that. So uh, hopefully uh, Rob Brand is able to get through this, um, you know, get through this particular lawsuit, is able to win the lawsuit and has himself in a better situation after all of that. Um, but on that note, I will uh, you know, be able to put a close to this particular episode of the Boxing Source Radio. I thank uh, Brother Mike for being a part of this particular podcast and also Brother Terrell that joined in earlier. Um, uh, we will get back into it here uh, next week as uh, we'll talk about uh, the fights that will be uh, coming up, including uh, Emmanuel Navarrete versus Chris Diaz and Edgar Belanger versus Damon Nicholson. Uh, and I'll also look forward to uh, the pay-per-view that is coming up on May 1st, headlined by Andy Ruiz Jr. and Chris Ariola. So uh, that will be uh, the upcoming schedule there. Uh, that um, that will be, what, April 25th is when we will be scheduled to have our next live session. But those that are listening in, here through this podcast, through iTunes, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or anything like that. As long as you're subscribed to this podcast, you'll be able to listen to it uh, when it is available on those platforms. And um, we will be getting back at it, like I said, on uh, next Sunday. And like I say at the end of every show, folks, the point of boxing is to hit and I can hit, not in the standing trade, On that note, folks, I'm out. Have a good evening, everyone.